Hi and welcome back. I'm Dave and this is episode 7 of Police Stories Podcast. Uh, a series of short-ish stories about uh, my 28 career, 28 year career in the uh, UK Police Force. Um, so today we're going to uh, get on to something that every cop will know very well, unfortunately, a subject that something we deal with all the time, domestics, domestic incidents, arguments between partners. And uh, unfortunately, it's something you go to a lot as a police officer. Um, and, and they have you know a huge range, not only of the people involved, but the reasons why. Um, you can get blasé about them. Uh, it wasn't unusual for me to go to six in a shift, different domestics. Um, and certainly when you're younger, and at this point, don't forget, I'm still very early in my career and probably 21, maybe 22, um, very difficult to go into the house of, you know, a 40 or 50 year old couple as a fresh faced 21 year old and tell them, you know, that how to basically run their lives, you know, and you have to remember that, of course, um, you know, we've all probably have arguments with uh, people we've been in relations with, they tend to be the most emotionally charged, you know, the most sometimes aggressive, very well, very often aggressive, um, you know, but there's something that really invokes passion. And unfortunately, as a cop, if you're stepping into that arena, right when those emotions are ready to explode, you know, it can have um, really bad effects. So some people got blase about them, and I probably did as well at points, but um, some of the nastiest jobs I've ever been to came from domestics. And you know, there is no such thing as a sort of straightforward domestic. Well, it might be afterwards, but going there, you should never think that because, you know, even the calmest situation initially, you know, if you push that right button, uh, could cause you, you know, terrible problems uh, and could turn into a really, really violent attack on yourselves, you know, because it's very easily turned around on the cops, <clears throat> excuse me, that turn up. So in this particular incident, um, a little bit more service now, a little bit more confidence, uh, and we'll hear that that can be a problem, um, as we'll discuss in a minute. Uh, so we get the call, and, and generally, sometimes you'll get a bit more detail about, you know, there's an argument or whatever, but invariably there'll be loud, sort of shouty-type argument going on for some time, and quite often the call comes in from the neighbour, for example. Um, especially if they're in flats, obviously, it's a lot easier for people to sort of hear these things. Some of the modern flats, paper-thin walls, you can virtually hear what people are saying when they're talking, let alone when they're full-on shouting, throwing the vase across the room, etc. So we get a call, domestic in progress. Sometimes that's all you got. You didn't get any more, just got domestic in process. Loud shouting can be heard from, from a flat. So myself and my colleague, uh, we go whizzing off to this job and... We're on blue lights and I think there's one more car coming initially, certainly, but we're going to be the closest and we're going to be the first there by some way. So we're going to have a few minutes by ourselves. And that's something always worth bearing in mind. Of course, if you work rural, then, you know, your backup could be 20, 45 minutes, even an hour away. So that really changes how you deal with things. Whereas if you work, you know, very central city and, uh, you know, you know that five minutes later you're going to have... 10 cops there, it, as I say, it definitely adjusts your style of policing. So we turn up at this job, sure enough, it's a modern block of flats, quite a small block. I think there was six flats in there. It was two flats per floor and there was three floors. And the top floor is about 30 foot up. 
Now, um, although we were given a number, you never quite know how the, the numbering goes in these flats. And uh, so sometimes it's worth just asking or occasionally, and certainly nowadays, they're able to look on computer systems and they can quickly tell you where it is. Now, pretty much any call you get to a flat, you almost don't need to ask where that flat is because I can guarantee you it'll be the top floor. It doesn't matter. You know, uh, you turn up at this horrible tower block with 35 floors you turn up and you're looking at the numbers list because you know your number, whatever, and you might have the lowest number and you think, no, that's not going to be the top floor, or at least that's what you hope. But I guarantee you, you'll be looking down the list and sure enough, there we are, 19th floor, the flat you're after. So you think, well, it, you know, 19 floors is bound to have a lift. I'll go and press the lift button. What do you think is going to happen? That lift's not going to work. I guarantee it. It's just how it is. Always a top floor flat. If there's a lift, it won't work. So there we go. So turning up at this job, sure enough, I didn't need to check, it was the top floor flat, although it was only three flights, so even I could cope with getting up there. So me and my pal go in. Now, quite often, bearing in mind, you know, you get a call and then it takes five minutes maybe to get through to the call handlers and for them to take all the details to then pass it on to us, we get a radio message to say, go to this incident, um, you know, and then it, if, if you're lucky, it might only be if we're close, and I think we were in this occasion, maybe only another five minutes to get there, but you're still talking 10 minutes after the sort of shouting started. So it was quite common to get there and the domestic was over. You know, um, it's rare for these things to go on forever. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but uh, it can be quite rare. So we turn up at this job, we go in through the door, up the, the flight of stairs, which is directly in front of us, all the way to the top. And sure enough, the front door of the number we're after is um, right at the top of the stairs. Now, that's always, a, again, another dangerous situation. And there's been some horror stories where cops have ended up arresting people at the tops of these flights of stairs. Sometimes, you know, they go around in a square, the, the, the stairs, so you couldn't fall down too many. But on this occasion, I think perhaps because it was only three flights, the stairs went top to bottom. So you had, you know, a run of kind of 20 or 30 foot of, of stairs. So it's a dangerous situation. You say you're getting a roll around at the top of those stairs, and your prisoner ends up dragging you down those stairs. You know, there's there's been cops that have ended up having broken backs and broken necks. In fact, I work with someone who ended up with a broken neck from a job like this. So it's definitely a consideration when you're turning up to these things. And again, perhaps unusually, when, when I turned up to this one, I could still hear the domestic. So it's kind of 10 minutes in and it's very much in full flow. It's It's a classic, almost like Tom and Jerry moment where you've got full on smashing of glass shouting and screaming and even running up the stairs i can hear now that the female in the in the property um definitely sounds like the scared submissive one um and the male is the loud aggressive one uh now you might think well, that's the way of things but obviously in this modern world we live in that's not always the case and also you'd be surprised just how many domestics as well are um the female is the aggressor you know and it's the male that is is the sort of downtrodden partner you know you see that more and more people may not think of that as a traditional thing but you know that that is what happens um so we're outside this door and i can hear loads of shouting and swearing and screaming and smashing inside so at this point i decide to call up on the radio firstly to confirm we're there um to the control room secondly to check how far away the backup is and also when you key up your mic on your police radio i'm very much aware that the shouting and screaming and smashing is probably going to transmit and it just pricks everyone's ears up they just get a little heads up that 
this isn't calming down, you know, this is absolutely full flight. So the guys and girls that are coming to support us, perhaps just go that little bit quicker. Certainly, if I was backing someone up and I heard that, I would know this is a bit more serious. So I perhaps need to put my foot down a bit more. The other thing you do is quite often they're communal doors to get into these blocks of flats. So you would have to press a buzzer to get in. Um, and it might be if no one's letting you in, you're literally pressing every single buzzer on that and just saying, it's the police let us in. Um, once that door's um, been uh, opened, then quite often experienced cops, and as time went on, I became one of those, you would carry a door wedge with you and you would just wedge that door open because, again, what you don't want is you have this massive roll-around fight with someone, you're desperately calling for assistance, and now no one opens the doors, the communal doors, to cops, and it just all takes time to force entry in that. So experienced cops go through a communal door and they prop it with a fire extinguisher, don't tell the fire inspector, with a fire extinguisher, a wedge or whatever, you know, just, just so you know your backup can get up to you. So I'm up at the front door and uh, start off knocking on the door, uh, reasonably sort of positively, but I'm not sort of smashing the door down with my fist or anything. And nothing happens, no change at all. The, the shouting, the screaming, the smashing continues inside. Um, so give it a few seconds. Now I'm banging on the door. It's got a bit more aggressive from my point of view. I'm using my fists and I'm banging loud on the door. Everything stops inside. It goes deadly quiet, but there's no response. No one comes to the door still. So I know they're in there, obviously, and I know they've now heard me and it stopped it initially, but likewise, no one's coming to the door. So there's just chart and silence. So the first thing I get from inside the flat is a very loud, fuck off, fairly standard. Um, and this continues, basically. Keep getting told to do one, basically, to go away. Uh, banging on the door, let us in, etc. No, it's not happening. So at that point, most police vehicles would have, um, and you call it various things, but a big red key, an enforcer was the official name for it. It's basically a door forcing ram. They come in various shapes and sizes. You had to do, certainly where I was working, you had to do what's called an MOE course and a method of entry course where you've had a couple of days basically bashing away on doors with these things to learn the technique so that you don't injure yourself because again, very easy to uh, injure yourself uh, um, entering you know, and, and smashing down a door effectively. You can go old school and do it with your shoulder or your foot, but quite frankly, a lot harder and you're almost certainly going to injure yourself. So we've decided that we're gonna force entry to this property and everyone mistakenly uh, you know, thinks you need a warrant in this scenario. You, I think they watch too much telly. A lot of time people are shout, come back with a warrant. I wanna see your warrant and all the rest of it. In a lot of cases, it doesn't work like that. You've got powers of entry where you can go in warrant or not, um, as most people get the surprise and find out. So I've sent my colleague down to the car. He's got the enforcer and he's come running back up the stairs with it. I'm standing by the front door still, just in case they come out. The second car is just turning up. And um, initially, they've shouted up the stairs, we're going to stay out here in case he goes out the window. And they've put that up on the radio. Well, the sergeant has come back on the radio and said, I know the address. It's three floors up. That's 30 foot high. He's not going out the window. Go back up to assist Dave. So I'm like, okay. Seemed like a reasonable thing to me at that point. And uh, so they come up and join us. So you've now got four cops on by this front door. I'm at the front of the door. I don't think... A, like live I'd actually put a door in at this point so I said I'll, I'll do the door you know so the enforcer gets dropped at my feet now you can just start hammering away on the door but there is a bit more technique 
And one of the things that's important or can be important is if that door is loose at all, if it has any play in it, then when you hit the door, a lot of the energy from your hit is kind of dissipated and doesn't actually go through the door. So one of the first things you do is you get someone to what's called foot the door for you. One of your colleagues basically lays on the floor beside you, making sure they're out of your swinging arc when you're swinging the big metal ram, because obviously it's very heavy and has a lot of power behind it. And they just simply push their foot hard on the bottom of the door. And what that does is it takes out the slap out of the door. It takes this looseness out of the door and ensures that when you hit that door, all the power you put through it is going through the door. So you're far more likely, you know, of actually getting the door in. So um, we're all lined up. I hit the door. I've already had a feel of it where the locks are. And basically it's just got one single lock and it's roughly middle of the door. So that's the easiest one there is. Uh, so I hit the door hard. My power's footing the door at the bottom. And sure enough, bang, it goes straight in first hit. So I'm well chuffed now. I'm feeling like Superman. And uh, uh, the idea is that when you hit the door, the person who hits the door should never go through with it because you're at an immediate disadvantage. You're carrying the enforcer. But the reality is because we didn't know quite what the situation was anyway, we hadn't intended to go barreling in anyway. So I put the enforcer down. I'm still the first one at the door and the people are kind of stacked up behind me. So there's four of us here. But you have to remember these are very narrow flats. There's basically one person can go through a door at any one time. So it's not like you have this luxury of three or four cops going through and all standing side by side. You know, narrow doors, narrow corridors in a flat. So it's a typical flat. I think it was two bed maybe. And uh, as soon as you go through the front door, immediately on your right is the first bedroom. So very slowly, I haven't got a bat now or anything, kind of work my way in through the door, peer around the corner, and I see basically the situation that's before me, which is uh, there's a young female, maybe mid-twenties. She is kneeling on the floor and she is in between the knees of a guy who sat on the bed. So he sat on the bed. She's in between his legs, facing him on her knees. He's got her by the hair and he's pulled her head back. And it, for all the world, looks like he's about to slit her throat. Um, but basically, um, he now starts up with a shout and a scream again. I mean, this guy is on something. You know, he isn't on, you know, cannabis that's got him chilled out. He's taken cocaine or something. And he is a wild man. He sat there, but he's going crazy. His eyes are bulging. He's sweating. He's screaming and shouting. You can barely hear what he's saying because he's going so crazy. I mean, for all the world, you know, uh, it looked like he was about to turn into a werewolf or something. You know, he was absolutely bonkers. And all the time, he's got hold of this poor woman by the, the hair. And of course, her head's getting ragged about. Um, <clears throat> so we're quite close. We're about maybe eight, ten feet away from him, I suppose. She's obviously very upset, crying, screaming, pale. Um, couldn't see any obvious injuries on her. So I'm trying to shout across the top of this guy and just tell him, all right, pal, just calm down, take it easy. Right, what's the issue? What's been going on? And amazingly, he actually does calm down a little bit and tries, uh, or I try to communicate with him really, you know, um, try and either calm him down or find out what's going on or any anything really, any <clears throat> sort of shred of uh, information you can get out of him that can help you just start this conversation. Because if you can do that, then you're perhaps on a start. And again, you'll meet people who tell you, oh, I can talk people down. You know, trust me, there is definitely people you cannot talk down, whether it's drugs or mental health. You know, sometimes you can. A lot of cases, you know, you are in a position to. But in these cases, you know, 100% not. So, <clears throat> excuse me. 
this guy um, is ranting, but he's definitely calming down a little bit. Um, now, if you remember back to a couple of the previous incidents, uh, and by this time, I've had a few jobs. I'm a little more confident. I've maybe got six months in the job. I've been to quite a few domestics, even at this point. And uh, certainly, I think it was the last episode of the one before, there was a scenario where I'd basically shouted at someone to calm down and, and try to bring a bit of authority in. And it had worked. They had backed down and they had stopped doing what they were doing. Now, this had happened, I remember, three or four times at this point in my career. And that was a bad thing, quite frankly, because what it did was it gave me false confidence. I had in my mind that, you know, I'm a cop, I turn up in uniform. Certainly there becomes a period of time where you feel your uniform's a bit of a suit of armour and that no one's ever going to sort of not do what they're told. Unfortunately, my experience up to that point had supported it by these people backing down. So now I'm feeling a bit confident. This guy's ranting and raving, but calming down a bit. But in the end, I thought, right, I know how to deal with this. I can bring this to a conclusion. There was this little bit of a standoff between us. Uh, and I said to him, right, come out of there or I'll fucking drag you out. Um, now, you don't normally swear as a cop, but sometimes, again, it just helps sort of drive the point home. And here's me, Mr. Cocky, feeling a little bit confident. Well, that stops him dead in his tracks. He literally stops talking for a second. And I stupidly thought, ah, this is going to go exactly how it should do. I've shown my authority. I've told him what the score is. He's going to back down and this situation is going to be solved. No. So it stopped him. He stopped talking. He stopped ranting. He very slowly and deliberately leans across to his right and leans down and appears to pick something off the floor of the far side of the bed. I can't see what it is. And he turns and looks at me and very quietly and deliberately, and this is the first time he's been quiet, says to me, well, you better come and fucking drag me out then. So, of course, I'm faced with a bit of a dilemma now. This has never really happened at this point. Normally, I've shouted at people, they've come out. This guy, he's a bit different. So I'm left with this situation. Well, I've got two choices. I either go in and grab hold of him, but what's he got in his hand? I don't really know. He's a bit of an unknown entity. I know he's definitely on something and, you know, could explode again at any second. So I'm not massively keen to get near him. But you've got to weigh that up with the, there's a, you know, very upset, potentially injured female between his legs that could get even further injured. And obviously we have a duty to go and rescue that, that woman effectively. So I thought, I did think about it for a second. For a split second, I thought, I'll just go in and grab him. But it's just something about this guy. I wasn't sure about it. And I'm glad I didn't. Because in the end, I said to him, okay, I'll tell you what, you stay there. I'll take her out with me. I need to speak to her. And again, I wasn't sure this was going to work, but I thought it was quite a good alternative where maybe we could both save face. And sure enough, he let go of her and went, fuck off then, take her. I don't want her anyway. And sure enough, she he kicks her over basically and pushes her over towards us with his foot. So she falls over to her side and falls almost at my feet. So I grab hold of her shoulder, bearing in mind that no other cop can get near me at this point. It's, you know, it's just me and no one else could get around me anyway. So it's really difficult because it's narrow. So I've grabbed hold of her arm and I've kind of half dragged her out and we've dragged her out through the front door and we've closed the front door behind us again. Um, although the lock's already smashed a bit. So we've only got to push it with our foot to, you know, get in back in there again. So we get her out. We have a quick chat with her. You OK? What's happened? You know, and, and basically, obviously, they've had a big domestic she has been hit a couple of times, but there's no obvious injury. She's not bleeding. She hasn't been stabbed. Uh, she's very upset. 
Um, and I immediately start shouting back to the through the door at this guy again now, because now, as far as we're aware, because we've said to her, how, how many others are in the flat? She's, no, it's just me. So that's good. It's just this guy now in the flat. So actually, you're into a bit of a containment phase here, because why would we now go in and put ourselves at risk? You know, we're not going in to effectively rescue anyone. Um, so you don't need to necessarily go in. We're more in a containment. Uh, and bearing in mind, we're three floors up. We thought that we didn't have to worry about the windows. So I start trying to speak to him through the door. Um, we're waiting for uh, to get this female away to hospital to get her checked up. Um, the other two colleagues have gone back down the stairs. There's so just me and my power now at the front door. So I'm trying to shout to him, all right, mate, why don't you come out then? Let's just sort this out, shall we? Just calm down. You know, she's out of the way. Everyone's calmed down. We can sort this out. And just basically a little bit of negotiation. I get nothing. There's no response at all from inside. I don't hear anything. So after a little while, we're thinking, you know, what has this guy done? We're thinking, has he injured himself now? You know, has he slashed his own wrist or something? So we open the door again. We have a peer in. Can't see him. We go into the bedroom or we peer around the corner of the first bedroom where he just was. He's not in there. We have a quick look. And you do have to look everywhere because people hide under beds and all that. Quick look. He's definitely not in this room. So we start systematically working our way through this, the rooms that he's flat to look for him. He's not in there. It's a really small flat. Um, so we're thinking, where the hell has he gone? Well, there's only one option and that's out the window. But we're really high, remember. So I shout down to the guys downstairs who've still got this female with him, with them. Um, you know, he might have gone out the window. Have a quick look round. So the guys run around the far side of the building because at the moment they're they're by the main sort of entry communal door, and obviously he's not dropped out that side. They uh, run around the other side of the building, and sure enough, in the distance, and he's already kind of fifty meters away and increasing. Um, he's sprinting off. Uh, amazingly he's dropped 30 feet out admittedly onto soft grass and he's sprinting off albeit it's a bit of a hobbly sprint he's definitely got an injury um, now unfortunately for him at this point um, one of the backup or another backup has arrived and that is in the form of a police dog now police dogs are fantastic cops love police dogs in all their guises you do have to be careful with them because some of them will easily and happily bite cops as well they don't really care who they bite. They just want to bite someone. These things are like furry crocodiles. You know, they're um, quite frankly terrifying in some scenarios. But if they're on your side and if they're doing what they're told, they're a brilliant uh, piece of kit, basically. Um, so Dogman, and I say Dogman because it was a man. Dogman turns up with his dog, jumps out, says, where's your guy? And he gets pointed to. Now, I'm uh, watching this from the top uh, window from the... Uh, in the flat, I'm still within the flat, so I can see and hear this going on. I can see the guy running in the distance. Dogman turns up, gets his dog out. He's got him by the collar. He says to the cop, is that your man there? Yep, 100%, that's him. There's no one else in the street at this point, which is good. Uh, Dogman puts in the standard challenge, which is police officer with a dog. Stand still, I release the dog. Something like that, probably a lot quicker. Um, probably difficult to hear because it's shouted out and all the rest of it. The guy's never stopping anyway. Um, this is a dog man's dream. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. These guys and girls love this. Um, so he doesn't stop running. Dog gets released. Sure enough, he's off. Furry exocet. Away he goes. And uh, does police dog's favourite thing in the world. And it's fantastic. You know, it is like something off the telly, quite frankly. He gets brought down by this massive Alsatian, which is the sort of standard 
uh, police dog. You know, I know other forces have dabbled with other dogs. I've seen Rottweilers and things, but quite often it's a GSD or a Malinois, I believe they're called a, a sort of Belgium, German Shepherd type thing. And um, this guy's brought down. Um, and in the time it takes for the dog handler to run over to the dog and try and call or pull the dog off, he's been bitten about three or four times. So trust me, all the fight has gone out of him. So he gets handcuffed and happy days. That's him uh, in, cuffed, in cuffs, arrested for assault and been bitten three times. From a cop's point of view, that's, that's quite a good job. Um, the female, obviously she's upset. She's had a nasty incident. She's had a couple of wallops, but... Um, you know, no long-lasting injuries. So at this point now, it's all slow time. We've got our man in custody and I have a wander through the flat while I'm in there. And I think I'll just go back to that room that he was in when when I first uh, came in and just see if there was anything there the other side of the bed. So I walk around to the far side of the bed and have a proper look on the floor. Now this is, remember, where he's leaned across and picked up something from the floor or at least it looked like he did and I couldn't tell is he bluffing? Has he not picked up anything at all? Or has he picked anything up? And as you remember, I had this dilemma as to whether I sort of rush him or whether I come up with an alternative. Thankfully, I came up with the alternative because sure enough, beside the bed where he'd leaned over to pick something up, I find a very large carving knife, about a 12 inch carving knife. And beside that, there is also a steak hammer, which is one of those horrible metal hammers with the metal spikes on it for a tenderizing steak and also a screwdriver. I mean, this guy's come prepared. So there's these three horrible weapons and I still never know, but I assume he picked one of them up. And of course, also looking back, you think to yourself, had I gone for it, would that have been the end of me? You know, would he have uh, used one of those on me? Possibly, yes. He was definitely very drugged up, you know, and, and certainly not thinking clearly at that point. Um, so split second decision, thankfully went my way, you know, could have gone very differently Lots of cops have made those decisions and they've gone the other way. So you never really know, but I'm grateful that that day I didn't go for it and actually it worked out all right. There's obviously various other scenarios where it may not have. He could have done something terrible to her and it could have always lived with me. But on this occasion, it worked out okay. I'll never know which weapon, if any, he picked up. I'm sure he picked up one of them. And also, would he have used it had I gone in? But uh, there we go. It all worked out all right in the end. That's not always the case, and as we'll hear in the um, forthcoming episodes, it doesn't always go your way, and unfortunately you get a uh, painful lesson. But we'll uh, talk about that next time. Thanks for coming back. Please continue to listen on the various podcast-type platforms. As you know, we're on YouTube as well, Police Story Podcast. Had quite a few more um, people listening on the YouTube um this week which is quite good and and the audience to my amazement continues to grow by all means go on to the police stories podcast on youtube and uh, you'll see that it's the same photo as on the podcast that'll help you identify because there is quite a few um but by all means leave some comments um or if you've got any questions i'll see if i can answer them but if uh, there's nothing else i will speak to you again probably next week thanks for your time cheers bye